Well, we are in week two of three weeks of, of every year. We take a couple weeks and we do something called I Love My Church. We started it five or six years ago, and we try to make something different about it every year. And so it's, you don't go, oh, I've heard this before. So it's not. It's completely different stuff. Um, we might talk about some of the same things, um, but we do it in a totally different manner, and we're very intentional about doing that. Last week, Pastor Mitch preached about the, the motto we have around here. What's our motto? Who are we? We're people who care. That's our heart in Portview Pete. He has a heart. We started a little thing a few years ago. We said that, I remember how we even did it, said, this, no, I'm, I'm, scar- I'm, I'm missing something. It was your heart leads to something, leads to something. Like, how come I can't remember it? But anyways, it had to do with, oh, the try, thank you, this, the triangle of change, which, which is where we talk about lining up your narratives with the narratives of God and, and uh, engaging in spiritual exercises that open your, available, open your heart up to the availability of the Holy Spirit um, with a group of people going in the right direction. It's basically our Wednesday night classes um, and looking to the power of the Holy Spirit. The triangle of change, this leads to this, which is a changed heart, which then leads to this changed heart, leads to how you interact with the world around you. And so um, Pastor Mitch last week talked about this. He talked about the heart of who we are as a church, that we are, that's very intentional. It's just not just some little slogan. When we took a couple years to figure out what's God asking us to be and what's he wants us to do, we looked at this as saying the heart, the, the starting place has to be our heart, who we are as people. That if we are the right people on the inside, then the right actions will proceed from being the right people. So Pastor Mitch um, talked about that. And now today, I want to go on and I'm going to talk about Pete. Portview, who knows who Portview Pete is? All right, you've, most of you should know Portview Pete. Some of you don't know Pete, that, that's why we do this again. And I'm going to approach it in a much different way than we have in the past. And so we're going to get to Pete like halfway through this message, um, talking about the reason why we exist. So I want to start today by reviewing a Bible story, just talking about it. We're going to read it in a little while, part of it that I think almost all of us, or maybe all of us, are familiar with. You're familiar with the story in the scripture of the prodigal son, right? The father and the son who flees and the older brother um, in this story. Well, it's in Luke chapter 15, and we're going to get to part of it in a little while, so you can turn to Luke 15 if you want. It tells us that one day, let's put it in the right context, why Jesus told this story is for a very specific reason. That one day Jesus was teaching, And there were a bunch of uppity, uppity religious leaders, scribes and Pharisees they were called, that were getting upset with Jesus as he was teaching. And they weren't upset at that point because of what he was teaching, but you know what they were upset about? Who he was teaching. He was upset about who he was spending his time with and who he was teaching the things of God. Matter of fact, what they thought, the religious crowd, was that he was giving attention to people that weren't worthy of attention. He thought they were beneath them, that they weren't worthy of spending your time with them. They were the the, the down and outers, the spiritual zeros of of the community. And so they were grumbling because he was spending his time with people he called, they were tax gatherers, who were, who were people who were, um, Jewish people who basically rejected their own people, sided with Rome and was collecting taxes of the, for the people of Rome and would actually embezzle extra money. So they're eating with tax gatherers, and he says, and just the, the broad category, and sinners. So it kind of says something about the people who are grumbling to Jesus. They think, well, they're, 
we're better than them, that they're tax gatherers and sinners. And, you know, and we're uppity-uppy. We're, we're better than them. And not only was he teaching them, he was spending time socializing with them. Jesus was eating with them. Now, that's not a good thing to do for a Jewish man who considers himself a teacher and is trying to, they think, climb the ladder of success and become somebody in the religious world. They're looking at him going, how can you become a somebody like we're somebodies if you're spending time with these people that are beneath us? They're just a bunch of rabble. They're tax gatherers and sinners, and you're eating them with them. So Jesus, listening to them complaining about what he's doing, tells them some stories, some parables. He really tells them um, three parables, but they all have the same message. He starts off telling them a parable about a shepherd who lost a sheep. He talks about a shepherd has a hundred sheep and, and one of them strays off and how he leaves the 99 behind. Matter of fact, we sing a song in worship about leaving, he'll leave the 99, he'll kick down walls, he'll climb mountains, whatever, that he'll do anything to find you. That's based on that parable. That he, is, he leaves the 99 and he, he goes to the, you know, far and as far as he can to the woods and the fields and he finds the lost sheep and he brings the lost sheep back. And what's he do when he finds the lost sheep? Does he beat the lost sheep for running away? What's he do? He has a party. He celebrates because he finds the lost sheep. And he, he tells that story. Then he, he tells him another story. He tells them a story about a woman who has ten coins and she loses one of her coins and we assume that these are very valuable and, and uh, is super important to her and maybe it represents her whole future and, and she loses one in her house and she sweeps her house and she goes to great lengths until she finally finds the coin. And what does she do when she finds the coin? She celebrates. She has a big party. She calls her friends and says, my coin was lost and now it's found. Come and celebrate with me. And then he tells the story of something else that's lost. This lost thing's a little different though. This is a lost son and this one's not lost because um, it's, it, it, it got misplaced or it's just like a sheep that maybe got lost. This is a story about a lost son, a lost child. And this lost child just didn't get lost on accident. This lost child got lost on purpose. He wandered away from the father. How this, the story is about how the son leaves the father, demands his inheritance early, says, you know what? Someday you're going to die, dad. And when you die, I get half because I got another brother, half of everything. I don't want to wait for you to die. I want you to give it to me now. Basically saying, I wish you would die because I want what you're, what you're worth. And the dad gives him half of his worth and he goes out and it says he wastes it on wild living and he ends up losing everything and he finds out when his money's gone, his friends are gone and he ends up as a, as a Jewish boy feeding pigs in a pig pen, which no Jew would do if they had a choice. And he's starving because he can't even eat the pig food that the pigs are eating and he realizes, man, I'd be better off if I just went home to my father. And so he basically crawls back to his father. And the father does something. What's the father do? He celebrates. And what I want us to think about in particular today, and I'm going to take a little diversion in a second here to set up how amazing this really is. I want to think about today um, is what this story shows us, particularly the, the son and the father, what God is trying to communicate, because Jesus is trying to communicate something very important to us here. He's trying to communicate how the Father feels about lost people. 
how the Father feels about all people. What's the Father's heart toward you and me? How does God honestly think of you? How does God honestly think of me? And that's that's what we're going to focus on today. But before we do that, in order to make this really make it amazing to understand how God thinks about us, I want us to think about something else. I want us to think about us. I want us to think about humanity, think about people. This is what we know from that story and just from Scripture and from life, that people are lost without God. We are so lost, and I don't mean to do this to be sensational. I usually don't try to add this stuff in, but I couldn't think of a better way to communicate how lost we are. That humanity is so lost that we could live in a nation where we would pass laws in the last little while that says you can take a baby and murder it. Not only up until the day it's going to be delivered, but now saying you could actually deliver a baby and kill it if it's not the kind of baby you want. I'm not trying to be sensational. I'm just trying to look at it. I've been trying to wrap my head around this whole thing and say, how is this possible? That in this world, in this country, that we could be, we could, we could have leaders who are elected by our people saying we're representing people. The most appalling picture I think I've ever seen in my life was when the law passed in New York and there were women shouting with glee, just shouting with happiness because they just got the right to murder a baby up until the day it was born. There's only one thing I can conclude. People are broken. People are deceived and they're twisted by sin and the human heart is broken. And it's absolutely on its own set against anything that is good and right and in line with God. And the story of the prodigal son is trying to help us understand this about humanity. It's a picture of any one of us without God. Any one of us without Jesus coming and doing transformation in our hearts. We're lost without Jesus and we're drifting and we're going in our own ways and trying to find some type of joy and some type of fulfillment in life and trying to say, I can do whatever I want to do to make me happy. Even if it means killing my very own baby. The prodigal son is trying to say, the prodigal son will look at his father in the eye, the man who's given him everything, and say, I wish you were dead. Give me the money that you owe me. He doesn't owe him anything. It's trying to show the, the depravity of a human heart without Jesus. Without Jesus, we all fall flat. And that falling flat looks different for each of us. Some of us, like the prodigal, end up in a pig pen. We end up broken down and wounded and empty and broke. And if I sat and I said, let's tell some stories today, man, there are some, there are some stories to tell in this room of people who are literally at the bottom, in the pig pen of society, in our lives, us, without God. But you know what? It doesn't always look like that. Sometimes you end up in a penthouse without Jesus. You scrap your way to the top. You fight and you you're, use your intelligence. You get to the top and you have everything in the world that you think that the world could ever offer. 
you can have. But on your own without Jesus, the truth is you're aimless and empty and broken, even in the penthouse without Jesus. And all you've got to look at is, is in, in, the, in the wealthiest of the wealthy without Jesus, the drug abuse, the suicide, the, the loneliness, the dissatisfaction with life. That stuff doesn't bring satisfaction. What hopefully will happen in our lives, and it's probably happened in, in all or most of our lives in here, is that like the prodigal, there comes a day when we recognize that we need help. We recognize we're broken and we're empty. And what we do is we, we, we hear somehow the message that God loves us and we crawl to the Father who's been waiting for us with arms wide open, welcoming us, calling us, waiting for us to return to Him. And when we do, we discover how amazing our Heavenly Father really is. See, the story of the prodigal helps us to get a a little better grasp on this. And I want us to look at what it says about the heart of the Father towards you and me, towards a stray, towards a sinner, towards an undeserving person, really towards all of us. So look at John 15 with me. We're just going to look at part of the story that has to do with how the Father looks at us. John 15, I've told most of the story of the prodigal. He's wayward. He's in a pig pen. And in verse 20, he's, come, he's just understood that I need to return to my father. In verse 20, it says, So he got up and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran to him and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father had none of it. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and sandals on his feet, and bring out the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead, and he's come to life again. He was lost, and he's been found, and they began to celebrate. We'll stop right there. Remember, this is a story Jesus is telling to communicate how God feels about tax gatherers and sinners that some of the religious people around thought were so low and so rotten that they were undeserving of God's love and God's attention. And the question we ask for this is, how does the Father feel about people like that? How does God feel about the most rotten kid who broke his father's heart and ran away and squandered everything and now has come crawling back? How does he feel about the worst of the worst? Or maybe even the middle of the middle? Or somebody who thinks they're the best of the best? How does he feel? Even about people who reject him says he felt compassion for them, that he ran to him, that he embraced him, that he kissed him, that when the son came and said, but, 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 or father, 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 he just said, none of it. You rehearsed this, this, this speech you're going to give me to be my slave. None of it. You're not my slave. You're my son. You were lost and now you're found. 
Friend, that's how God responds to anyone who turns to him. Now, there is a need to turn to him. The son had to, had to come back home. But anyone who returns to him, that's how God responds to you and me today when we return to him. See, understand the big picture here. God created this incredible universe that we live in. He created our, our universe, our earth, the plants and the animals and the forests and the oceans. And then he created you and me so that we'd have a place to live in. That's what he did. He created all that. He created man. He put us, put us in there. Why did he do all this? Why would he have done it? The eternal existent God living in perfect loving unity as the triune God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit. Why would he have done it? Why did he do it? So he could be in relationship with us. That's always been his plan. That no matter how wayward we are, he would call to us, and when we came back, he'd say, listen, let's throw a party. Mark finally understood and has returned. That's why when we are disconnected from him, he longs for us. And when we return, he embraces us and he kisses us and he throws a party. He says he killed the, the fatted calf and puts a ring on your finger and a robe on your back. You say, well, when I came to him and I get a robe on my back, or yes, you did, and, and, and killed, killed the fatted lamb. You know what it's like to have the weight of sin removed from you when your sins are forgiven. And, and things broken in your life that used to hold you back. He's throwing a party for you. This is God's heart towards humanity. It's love. God is love, it says in 1 John. It's a definition of God. God, what is God like? God is his nature. God is love. It's who he is. And if you have come to the Father by receiving salvation through Jesus, you have realized that you were spiritually lost without him and have realized that that, um, you needed him and you've reached out to him. And you said, God, I need you. You recognize that you couldn't help yourself, but God helped you and he gave his son to be in your place. Jesus said, Mark, you're guilty of sin and you're guilty of destruction, but I'll stand in place for you. I'll take your punishment and I'll give you my love. If you've done that, you've received your understanding, the love of the Father. If you've come to know him as your Savior, then you have experienced his heart of love towards you because we are all prodigals that have come crawling home to our Father. Right? Then we need to say, then what? Then, with a changed heart, what happens when my heart is changed by Jesus? then I want to express my love back to him. What our Christian walk really is, is about experiencing his love and then expressing our love back to him, right? Would you agree that when you met Jesus, that your life changed and that your heart changed and the way you see the world now has changed? Yes? Yes. As a result of that change, It's changed how you live. I don't live the way I did before I knew Jesus. A lot of you don't live the way you lived before you knew Jesus. Now you want to express, you've experienced his love, and you want to express your love back to him. 
How do we do that? Well, we did it one way today. We put everything aside and we sang songs to God. People have said to me at times, Pastor, how come at church we spend so much time, like half the time we're together, maybe a third of the time we're together, we're singing. They'll say something like, well, I don't really like to sing. I'll say, you know why we do it? Think of the songs we sang today. The songs we sang today, and every week, we're very particular about the songs we sing here. We're very, some of you might go, well, there's a song on the radio I love to hear, but you never sing it in church. A lot of times it has to do with the theology of the song. We're very particular about the songs we sing. Almost all the songs we sing are singing directly to God, somehow of elevating God. You know what most of the songs today are about? Most songs in contemporary music, they're narcissistic. They're about me. Me, 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 me. Well, that's fine. People can sing them. But we're together for doing this. You know what we want to do? We want to sing about he. You are wonderful. You are glorious. You are, you are the lover of my soul, and I worship you for it. We're singing to God. We're, we're celebrating him. We're expressing our love to God. That's why we get together. We sing. What else do we do? We love other people because he loves us. You know why some people took time yesterday when they could have done a hundred other things and they went to, to Ronald McDonald House to minister to a bunch of strangers? They took their time. Some of you provided food. Some of us bought food and provided and some of you all provided food and went there and spent almost your whole Saturday and then a lot of those people then came to, to prayer at the end. Why did they do that? Why would you do that? Because you've experienced God's love. And as a result, you want to love other people back. You want to love people for them. Did you notice in the picture? Pull the picture up once. Of, you had a couple of pictures up there. Pull the pictures up of Ronald McDonald House. Is, that, is it impossible for you to do? Keep going. There's another one. Another one. Is that it? I can see. Okay, I can't see it in that picture back there. What's the little sign say? That's the only reason they went. It says Portview Church. People who care. That's the only reason they went. Because if your heart's been changed by Jesus and you've experienced the love of Jesus, you want to express the love of Jesus as he's put it in your heart. And now his love flows out through you because he's now dwelling within you. Well, we have a way around here that helps us. Maybe you've never thought of it this way. That's what I'm saying. I try to always pre- present things in this little mini-series every year in a little different way, and I'm hoping this way is going to help you understand something a little bit different. We have a way around here to help us to know how we can express our love back to God, ways we can respond in love back to His love, and it's an image. We call him Port View Pete. we got a picture of Pete up there. Pastor Mitch, did you put this picture up last week when you preached? So Port View Pete... You guys talked about the fact that Pete has a heart. And this image has a purpose. Do you realize that Pete is really designed for you to be an aid to help you think about how you can respond back to God in love because of his love towards you? That's really what Pete is all about. Pete is really just a visual way to express what things the early church, we created Pete as a visual aid to express the content of Acts chapter 2, 42 to 48, which is the clearest picture we have of the early church. And it says, what things did they engage in? And we looked at the things they engaged in. We broke it down into five categories. 
of things that they engaged in that the scriptures say they did. They, they worshiped, they reached, and we'll explain these for briefly. They worshiped, they reached, they connected, they grow, grew, and they served. We looked at these, and what these are is, these are way that the early church responded in love back to God because they experienced love from God through Jesus, through his life, death, and resurrection, and his choice of them and their inclusion with him now in the life of the resurrected Christ. And what I want to do with us, for yourself, for your benefit, and for my benefit, for the rest of our time together, is just think about how in love we can respond back to God in various ways in our everyday life. Because sometimes we think about it, we think, when I say worship, what you're generally going to think about is coming together for church for an hour and 15 minutes and spending 15, 20 minutes singing songs. And I'm going to say there's so much more to it in ways that you can, in love, respond back to love, in love to God. So I want to look at these five. We're just going to do them quickly. Number one, at the top of Pete's worship, it says, it's his head. Think of this way. I, try to, I use this quote every time I talk to you about this. That as incredibly loved people, once we realize how amazing God is, we want to love God in return. And our expression of that love back toward God is worship. Worship is simply your expression of love back to God. So any way we express love back to God is a form of worship. So Sunday morning, gathering together, we sat here and we sang songs. That was worship. But you know worship doesn't stop there. You know work can be worship. That when you go to work this afternoon or tomorrow or the day after, when you go to school, tip myself over here, (laughs) when you go to school, when you work and you use the abilities that God has given you, enabled you to do and you say, God, I want to use these abilities for your glory. That I want, to, I want to do what I do as a way to somehow touch people's lives, somehow make the world better, somehow bring you glory, somehow have an opportunity to, to say, I can do this because of the giftings God's given me. That I can look at the work I do as worship because worship is any expression of our love back to God. That's something we do every day in our lives. It's something we should do every day or we can do every day in our lives. So we worship. The next thing, the right arm of Pete, it says reach, reaching. God has a heart of love for all people. That's what the story of the prodigal son tells us. And there's no better way to love God back than to partner with him in reaching people who don't yet know him. When you share the gospel with your family or your friends, when you invite them to church so they can experience the presence of God and hear the Bible explained, you are loving God because you're loving the people that he loves. And we very on purpose put Pete's right arm as reaching. Worship is the head. Everything we do is an act of worship to God. But the, the right arm, generally a right arm means your strength. Jesus is seated where? The Father's right hand. It's generally a spot of, it means the right is, most of us are right-handed, so it means, if your left hand doesn't mean you're wrong, but, but right-handed, I mean that, but right-handed generally speaks to most important. And Pete's right arm is reaching. Because here's what we know, there's nothing we could do to love God more than reach people that are lost. Because think, what's the most, what's the, the, what can we look at and say God 
expended the greatest cost to accomplish in all of history that we're aware of. Saving lost people. God himself, God's trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, God himself, Jesus, somehow it talks about a thing called the kenosis, an emptying of himself. He emptied himself of some, we don't understand it, some of his godness. He did something that we can't understand. Fully God came down and it was a virgin birth, was born in Mary, maintained his God, fully godness, and he became fully human. He experienced everything that we could experience so that he could understand you and me. That's why he did it, so that when you're brokenhearted, he understands it. You feel rejected? No one has been rejected more than him. He's God and God and humanity killed him. He did all that so that he could then say, now I'm going to give myself as a sacrifice in your place. And he died. And he said, my death has paid for your sins. And then he welcomes us to become one with him. And at the end of the book of John, he in John like 14 to the end, he's talking his constant expression about how we're included with him. That as the Father is one with him, that he welcomes us to be one with him and the Father. And he's saying, in Christianity, he brings us to become one with him. The greatest cost God has ever spent on anything, price he's ever paid, was to go through that, through that process in order so that I and you could be saved, that our sins could be forgiven. And if that's the most important thing he ever did in all the world, what better way could we love him back than when he says to you and me, go therefore into all the world and make disciples of all the nations. Teaching the reserve of all that I've taught you. He's saying, go tell people about me. How could we do anything on the planet more important than that? It is an act of loving him back when we tell other people about the fact that he loves them. Sometimes we look at it so backwards. We go, well, it's duty. Now you need to go tell somebody about Jesus. Pastor said so. Don't ever do it that way. If, you're, if that's your heart, don't do it. You just spend time, just, just live in the prodigal son for a few months. Spend time in the story for a few months and get, let God show you how much he loves you and understand what he's done for you. And when you get your heart changed, what happens is you, you can't imagine what God has done for you. God did it for me. I'm a no one from no, nobody from nowhere. And he died for me. Don't we get that? Of course I want to invest in the, the, I want to be part of the most important thing he's ever done, which is reaching lost people. So how do I express my love back to him? I reach people, I tell people who don't yet know Jesus. It takes some effort. It takes some, it takes some, some, some money. It takes some time. It takes, you know, a change of my plans to invest in the people that are, are the people that are in the gutter. And it takes a right heart to not be like the scribes and Pharisees who are looking at the person in the gutter and going, I can't believe you'd spend time with that person. Friend, if that's your heart at all, your heart's not at all like Jesus. We need to ask Jesus to change our hearts. Because he looks at the person in the gutter and they crawl back to him. And what's he do? He throws a party. No sense of condemnation. No sense of you got to do something first. He's just like, you've come, you've come crawling back. You're here. I welcome you. I'm going to throw a party for you. So there's no way we can love him in response better than reaching people who are lost, don't yet know Jesus. But it doesn't end there. The next thing, the other arm, it says connect. 
Another way we can respond back in love is, is by connecting. Two weeks ago, I talked about your circles. Remember, I brought, I brought my circle up here, those of them that were here. Talked about we all have a circle, people in our lives, and how we need to value that circle and invest in that circle and, and be committed to that circle. Um, that's what this is really all about. This is about doing life with one another. You see, here's something that sometimes we forget because we can be self-centered. God loves the person sitting next to you. Look at the person next to you. Look at them. Tell them, God loves you. You don't have to wonder if that's true. Oh, Suzanne, no one told you because you're in the front row. God, God loves you. God loves the person next to you. And here's a truth. He wants to love them through you. This is something that I've had a little change of idea about in the last number of years. As a person who understands, as a Pentecostal Christian, who understands the reality of the Holy Spirit, I'm always praying for the Holy Spirit to do something. Holy Spirit, do something for Josh. Holy Spirit, do something for Tony. Okay, that's true. I believe in the activity of the Holy Spirit. But Jesus constantly, and Scripture continually refers to the church as the body, and Jesus as the head. And he says, and we are its various parts. And the Holy Spirit is active. But you know how the Holy Spirit is active in this world? Where does he live? Where does he live? In us. So when I'm praying for the Holy Spirit to be active, oh, Holy Spirit, you know, help Gene, whatever, whatever Gene needs today. You know what he's saying? Yeah. Holy Spirit, I'm going to do it. Where does the Holy Spirit live? In me. Guess how he's going to meet Gene's need? Through me and you. I'm not saying Gene has any needs. But um, people are always usually afraid to sit in the front. <laughs> God does not just generally, he could use an angel, but that's not the normal way he does that. We see that example in scripture. He doesn't generally meet needs and touch lives by just bringing an angel. He does it through the intervention of the Holy Spirit, through the people of the body of Christ. And so the way that God loves other people in his body is through one another. And so if you think that that being a Christian is about coming to church sitting in a chair and staring at the back of the person or the head in front of you, singing some songs, and then going home and say, I, 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 I had fun singing them songs. You're missing it. It's about connecting with one another. It's about doing life together because God loves other people through me and through you. And so here's the deal. It's a little messy. We've been gone all week. We've got a bunch of things going on. We're really busy. And guess what? We have scheduled today. We have a lunch appointment with somebody, and then we have our connect group. And you know what we thought about? We should cancel our connect group. <laughs> then we thought about, why in the world we cancel our connect group? We're going to do life with a group of people that are in our connect group. And we're going to love one another, and we're going to walk when it's all done and say we're so happy that we met with those people because we loved each other. Even though there'd be, there's other things going on that we could say, I don't really have time for this. You say, no, there's nothing more important than to being God's extension of love to other people in the family of God. Another way we can express love back to God. You might say, hmm, I never thought of this. Growing. 
Growing is basically becoming more like Jesus. It's discipleship. It's, it's transformation in Christ's likeness. It's spiritual formation. It's becoming like Jesus. When Jesus changes your life, it's natural to want to become like him. And do you understand that you are loving God back? When you engage in the process of growth? That God created you and me to be something far more than we are in a fractured world corrupted by sin. And when we come to Christ, we don't automatically just become poof, we're this mature believer. It's a process. It's called sanctification. It's a process of progressively becoming more like God. Well, that progressive process is the activity of the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit doesn't do it without our participation. We participate. So, for instance, we have the Truth Project coming up. It would be a great benefit to some of you in here that aren't doing something else on Wednesday nights to become part, to go to the Truth Project and spend 13 weeks trying to understand how God sees the world and doing the hard work sometimes of analyzing what you believe and saying, holy cow, what I believe doesn't exactly line up with this. Somebody last night at prayer, I was talking to them about a, a certain uh, material they're going through right now, and they're going, wow, this is really helping me. I'm seeing things different. But I wouldn't have been able to receive it unless I had been in the Good and Beautiful God class these last six months where I'm learning is that my narratives aren't exactly lining up with Scripture, and I'm making them line up with Scripture, and now I'm receiving this, and it's changing my life. It's a process that takes effort. We put effort in all kinds of stuff. I know people put so much effort into killing a deer, it'll make you, it'll, it'll make you, you know, laugh. Buy land, scout the land, plant food plots, climb in trees. Suzanne just said to me the other day, you still got a tree stand out in the woods, don't you? I said, yeah, it's just been too cold to get it. Um, here's the deal. We just put all kinds of effort in all kinds of things. And some of you, it's golf. Some of you, it's just making money. Some of you, it's whatever your hobby is. Here's the deal. There's nothing that would be better investment than to put effort into becoming more like Jesus. The triangle of change that we talk about around here all the time. Nothing would be better. It's loving God in return because guess what happens? When you become more like him, you reflect his glory more fully in the world and you affect people. So if I become more like him, I'm better at reaching up people and bringing them into the kingdom. They're all tied together. So growing is just not some selfish thing. I just want, matter of fact, we around here make sure you don't ever think it's just about knowing, learning more knowledge. We've tried to debunk that completely. It's not just about learning more. It's about assimilating what is truth and letting it change you. So that's loving God in response. One more thing. Pete, he's got one, one limb left. What did we learn yesterday, folks? What can we do with those limbs? We can use a tourniquet on those limbs, <laughs> right? <laughs> we learned not to put a tourniquet around your neck yesterday. In our class, that was a good thing to learn. One limb left. Serving. Jesus modeled this. He was a servant. Why would he serve? His heart of love compelled him to love others. This is why I said earlier, it's why people would take yesterday and go to the Ronald McDonald house while somebody else would watch college football. I don't know, is their college football still on? I don't even know. It's over, isn't it? When our hearts are changed, so do our desires change. And one of the ways our desires change is that we say, God, how can I participate with you in serving people like you serve? Scripture says, 
Jesus, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and lay down his life a ransom for others. When Jesus, we understand the love of God towards us, we want to be like Jesus, and we serve like he serves. So these five things, worship, reaching, connecting, growing, serving, the visual aid, Pete, Portview Pete is a visual aid to help us see how we can express our love back to God. And my hope for you today, for me today, is we can see some areas in our lives where, where um, we could express love in some new ways. Maybe there's some things that, that are coming to your mind about how you might be able to express love back to God in some new way through, through connecting. You say, you know what, I really didn't realize that becoming part of a connect group or making friends with people really was about expressing love to God. But now I see it is. That's worth my energy or serving or whatever else. See, God's love towards us is incredible. And it's incredible that we can love him in return. Have you ever considered that? That you can bless God by loving him back. That's amazing. I remember the first day I actually thought of that years ago. I'm like, I can bless God by loving him back? That somehow brings joy to God? That me, I can do something that brings joy and blessing to God? The answer is yes, by loving him back. Let's wrap this up. Let's stand together. Father, I thank you for Portview, for this church. We're spending these couple of weeks talking about that we love our church. Well, we're not just saying we love this church. We're saying we love the church of Jesus Christ and its unique expression here in Port Washington called Portview. And Lord, what we see is that as we look at the church, we see this amazing revelation of your love towards us. And then we see in the early church, in this prodigal son story, we see how we can love in return. And Lord, I have to simply ask this, that some of the words that I said today would simply touch our hearts in unique ways so that we would grow in our understanding of how much you love us and we would grow in our passion for expressing our love back toward you. Because, Lord, it's not about trying to get people just to fill spots and say, oh, we have a service project coming up. Who's going to do it? It's about people who have been changed by you saying, man, that's a way I could express love to God by serving or whatever it is. That when, when we come into worship on Sunday morning and we're generally just one who sits and watches, we understand I can, we can actually bless you by singing a song. It's a song. It's, it's a prayer said out loud to music. We could, we could declare to you through our prayers that we love you as we worship you. Now, Lord, this is what I know. In a group this size, 
We're in all different places in our lives. All different places in our walk with you. And it's very possible, Father, that there are people here who find themselves in the place of the prodigal son. Who've tried everything. They're either in the pig pen or the penthouse, but they know this, they're not with you. And they know they're empty. They know they're lost. Because that's how we all are without you. And maybe they've thought before that, that there's this condemnation that would come if they would look to God and you'd be saying, oh, you're bad or you're rotten. But today they look in your word, the truth of what you say, and you say, come to me and I want to throw a party because you come to me. I want to, I want to clean up your life. I want to make you brand new. I want to forgive you of your sins and I want to welcome you into my family. And just maybe there's someone in this place today that's been running and running and running. And today you're saying, I need Jesus in my life. And I want to run run to God. As we're praying this morning, our eyes are closed, our heads are bowed. If that's you, I'm going to ask you to do something bold. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. I promise you that. But I want you to respond. If you say, Pastor Mark, today I'm ready to say yes to God. I want to I take my first step. Like that prodigal took his first step. He turned and he said, I'm going to my Father. Right now you want to say, I'm going to turn and go to the Father, my Heavenly Father. And I'm going to come to God today. I'm going to say yes to God. If that's you, I want you to do something bold today. And again, I'm not going to call you out or embarrass you. If you say, I'm ready to take that first step toward God today, I want you to raise up your hand. And when I see your hand raised, I'm going to ask you just to put it down. I just want to know who to pray with today. So you say right now, I want to say yes to God. I want to ask Jesus into my life. Okay? Okay? You can put your hands down. Anybody else? I'm going to invite the whole church family to pray. And those of you who raised your hand today, I want you just to to pray along with us. There's nothing special or magical about the words. What's happening is all you're doing is you're saying yes to God. And we're all, so many of us in here have prayed something so similar. And so I want you just to pray along. So let's pray together. All of us. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. I need you. Today, I ask you to come into my life. Forgive me from all the junk of my past. Make me brand new. Lord Jesus, come inside of my life. Let your spirit dwell within me and make me brand new. And on this day, I say, I want to follow you. I want to be in your family. So I receive forgiveness of my sins and inclusion in your family on this day. Thank you, Lord. Amen.